once I, like I said, I feel like the Lord has given me a word for you this morning. I'm excited to share with you about Easter and about the cross and even more importantly about the resurrection of Jesus. Now I'm going to try something a little different and sit down and preach today. I'm not sure how well that's going to work or how long that's going to last, but I'm going to go for it. So I figured you're all sitting down all nice and comfy on your couches. Maybe I should try to sit down and be comfortable too. So let's see, let's see if it actually works. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to John. Raise this up just a little bit. There we go. Open up to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation and the New King James kind of back and forth throughout this this, uh, message this morning. But we're going to start here in the Passion Translation in John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, After Jesus finished this prayer, he left with his disciples and went across the Kindred Valley to a place where there was a garden. I'm going to stop right there already and tell you that it was significant that Jesus went to a garden at this point. That it wasn't by accident that Jesus, after finishing the Last Supper, went to the garden to pray and went to the garden ultimately to be betrayed. And it's significant for this reason, because the story of the, uh, the cross had to happen because of what took place in a garden. That at the beginning of time in Genesis, that it was in a garden where Jesus, where God was first betrayed. And so, and it, and, and it was in a garden where the cross became necessary. So it was only fitting for Jesus to begin this journey of the cross in the garden where the cross first became necessary. So Jesus begins the story in a garden where the unthinkable happened in Genesis 1. Where God created man in his own image and then his image bearers chose to betray him. And then that in a garden, Jesus went to pray where he would be betrayed again, which would initiate the process of resurrection and redemption. See, the Lord redeems everything. The Lord redeems everything, even the place where the betrayal happened. He chose to go to the place of prayer in the garden to start to initiate the process of resurrection. Um, In the coming weeks, there's there's actually a lot, a lot of revelation there. And I'm hoping maybe in the next weeks we may dive deeper into the revelation of Jesus in the garden. But I just wanted to give you just a hint of that, that, that it was not an accident that Jesus began the journey of the cross in a garden. So, so it's, so uh, let's, let's go back into verse two. Starting in verse 2, Judas the traitor knew where this place was, for Jesus had gone there often with his disciples. The Pharisees and the leading priest had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and, a temple, and the temple police to seize Jesus. Judas guided, guided them to the garden, all of them carrying torches and lanterns and armed with swords and spears. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus knowing full well what was about to happen, went out to the garden entrance to meet them. Stepping forward, he asked, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now Judas the traitor was among them. And he replied, 
Jesus replied, I am he. And the moment Jesus spoke these words, I am he, the mob fell backwards to the ground. The moment Jesus released the identity of I am, the mob could not contain the power and fell backwards as Jesus spoke those words. And what I want to share with you with that is this. It says, Jesus knowing full well what was coming, knowing full well what he was going to encounter in the garden. It says he knew full well what was coming and went to the garden gate to meet the mob. And then it says that, that as he spoke the word, that as he identified himself as the I am, the entire mob fell backwards. And I can't do this right now. I've got to stand for a second. What he, what he did there, what, what I want to point out with that is, is that Jesus, knowing full well what he did, no one forced Jesus to the cross. No one forced Jesus to the cross. He knew full well what he was walking into when he stepped into that garden. And he still chose to walk, to take the steps into the garden. He knew full well. He could not be forced to the cross. It says that as he even just spoke his name, that the power of Jesus caused them to fall backwards. Now, I don't care how many guards you sent to capture Jesus. If Jesus would have chose not to go to the cross, there is no guard that could have held him captive. Because just the word, I am, caused them to tremble and to fall. So Jesus full well knew what he was doing and chose to go to the cross. It says, it says in John chapter 10, verse 18, it says that Jesus is speaking and he says, I surrender my own life and no one has the power to take my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down and the power to take it back up again. This is the destiny my father has set before me. No one could, could tell Jesus what to do. No one could force Jesus to sacrifice himself. It was his own free will that he chose to go to the cross. It was by his own free will that he chose to go to the cross. Let me show you, prove that point even more to you out of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna start in verse five. It says, so when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said, since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. So I said to you, God said, or Jesus said to Yahweh Father, he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. First, he said, multiple birth offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. And then he said to God, God, I will be the one to go and to do your will. Once again, Jesus chose the cross. He was not forced into the cross. There was no obligation on his end to go to the cross. He didn't have to come and save us, but he chose to willingly. Why would he do such a thing? Why would Jesus choose to come and to save 
someone or a group of people who willingly chose to betray him, who willingly chose to turn their backs on him, why would he willingly choose to come and rescue them? It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, it was because of his great love with which he loved us, period. That because of his great love with which he loved you. It says, it says in the Bible that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? The joy set before him was you and it was me. That the joy set before him that you and me helped him or it caused him to be able to endure the cross. And that is why, my friends, he chose to come from heaven, to take on the form of a body, and to go to the cross, was to rescue you and me so that he could restore ultimately what he first created and initiated in the garden, which was an unending, never-ending, eternal communion with you and me. He chose to come and to rescue us so he could spend eternity with us because of his great love with which he loved us. That is the story of Easter. That is the good news. That is why we're celebrating today because it wasn't because out of force, it was out of love that he came and he rescued us, amen? Out of his great love with which he loved us, he chose the cross. Isn't it good to know that Jesus chose us, that he chose to rescue us, amen? So what did that love do? What did the cross do? What was the whole purpose of the cross? Why did he have to die on the cross? Let's continue reading here in verse, or in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm gonna start, start in, uh, I'm gonna just start in verse nine. And it says, and then he said, God, I will be the one to go and to do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolished animal sacrifices and replaces the entire system with the new covenant. Pastor Ron already touched on this during communion. Then it says, I love this next verse, by God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. And then it skip down to verse 14 and it says, and by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. That by one sacrifice, by his sacrifice on the cross, you and I have been made perfectly holy, been made perfectly blameless without spot or wrinkle. It says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 21, it says that, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we through him might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means he became jealousy and we became holy. That he became lust and we became without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. That he became despised and rejected and we became the very sons and daughters of Yahweh God, our Father. That he took on us our sin. And then there was a great transformation where he took on our sin and we took on his righteousness. The purpose of the cross was so that it would eliminate sin in your life so that we could once again become sons and daughters and image bearers 
in Christ, that we could become the image bearers of Yahweh God, the Father himself. The purpose of the cross was to make us holy and to make us righteous. Amen? The purpose of the cross was to make us holy and to make us righteous. And again, he was not required to do that. I can't drive that point home enough. And to me, th- that set me free so much this, this week, knowing that he chose to do this because of his great love with which he loved us. That he chose to do this because of his great love with which he loved us. And we can't, we have to be careful to not make the mistake of thinking that Jesus just died so we didn't have to. Obviously he did. He went to the cross so we didn't have to go to the cross and to save us. But we have to remember also in Romans chapter 6 where it says, it says this. Let's go ahead and go there for me, Chad. Romans chapter 6. It says, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And then it says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So not only did Jesus take away our sins, not only did he forgive us of our sins, he actually killed the sin nature inside of us. The cross not only wiped away sins, the cross killed the old man of sin inside of us. And it says that his death actually was our death. Why, why, why was it important that, that his death is our death? It says it right there in Romans 6 verse 7. Because dead men can't sin. Because dead men can't sin. So we, Jesus didn't just go to the cross to forgive us of our sins. Jesus went to the cross and died to show us how to die. To show us that the old man inside of us is dead as well. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, let me look at it so I don't mess it up. A.W. Tozer says, the cross that saves us is also the cross that slays us. And anything less than that is pseudo-faith and not real faith at all. So the point I want to, the reason I'm bringing this up is, is I want to make it clear that the cross does not just wipe away your sins. The cross kills the old man of sin so that you no longer have to walk in the sin nature, but you are set free. The Bible says that you are no longer slaves to sin, that sin is no longer your taskmaster, that you don't have to answer it when it calls, but your master instead is grace, grace to overcome any sin that would come your way. That old man has been slain. It is dead, and you no longer have to answer to the call of the taskmaster of sin. Amen? So the cross forgives us, but the cross also slays the man of sin. The cross also slays the man of sin. But here is the good news. It doesn't stop there. That that is not the end of the story. That death is not the end of the story. And it's the reason why we're celebrating Easter today. The good news is that it doesn't stop there. That if his death is our death, his resurrection is also our resurrection. Romans chapter six, we're gonna start in verse four. It says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse five, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians 3 says that his resurrection is our resurrection. That when he rose from the grave, we also rose from the grave. Now that word resurrection packs a serious punch, okay? The word resurrection there is not just the idea that Jesus rose from the grave. Lazarus rose from the grave, right? Um, There's others in the Bible that, that were raised from the dead. The word resurrection there is more significant than just being risen from the dead. So the Jews, to understand resurrection, you have to go back to Jewish theology. What did Jews believe about this word called resurrection? So the Jews, they realized back in Genesis chapter 1, or the early stages of Genesis, that the earth, the perfect world that God created, the perfect world where, where man had dominion over the earth and where they walked with God daily, they knew, they realized that that perfect world had been broken by the fall, had been broken by sin. And what they believed was that Jesus, that in the last day that God Yahweh the Father, that in the very last day, they believed that he was going to fully restore the perfection of creation. That he was going to fully restore the perfection of the garden, of, of, of the walking daily with God, of the dominion of, of creation over the earth. They believed that, they, that the Lord was going to fully restore that, and they referred to that theology as resurrection. So resurrection is not just being raised from the dead. Resurrection is the restoration of the perfect creation that God had made. And they believed that this would take place in the last day. If you remember in John chapter 11, when Lazarus, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, if you remember the story in John chapter 11, Jesus comes into town And Jesus looks at Martha, Lazarus' brother, and he tells her, he says, Lazarus will rise again. And if you remember what Martha says, um, it, it, it paints the picture of the Jewish theology. What Martha says is, I know Jesus, Lazarus will be raised at the last day with all of us. She says, Lazarus will be raised again at the last day showing us the Jewish theology that they believed that in the last day, God would fully restore everything. But what was Jesus's response? Jesus looked at Martha and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the restoration of all things. You do not have to wait to the last day for that to happen because the resurrection is already walking the earth, standing right in front of you right now. And the resurrection of Jesus was the initiation of the new creation, of the new heaven and the new earth where God began the restoration project of restoring all things. And guess what was number one on the list of restoration? What was number one on the list of things for him to restore in the restoration, restoration project? The first thing he restored was the image bearers. 
The first thing he restored was the ones he created to look just like him. The first thing he restored was the sons and the daughters of Yahweh God. And when Jesus walks out of the tomb on the third day, on Easter morning, when he steps out of the tomb and Mary greets him there as the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus, the first words that come out of Jesus's mouth are, is this. Let me just read it to you. The first words that come out of Jesus's mouth is this there in John. Go ahead and flip to that for me. It says, Jesus cautioned Mary, saying, Mary, don't touch me now, for I have yet to be a sin to the Father. And then listen to this. My, I have yet to sin to God, my Father, and he is not only my Father and God, but he is now your Father and God. He is not just, uh, or, how, or, how, or I'm sorry, yeah, Jesus told her he is not only my father and God, but now he is your father and God as well. That for the first time in the gospel accounts, Jesus looks at Mary and he says he is now your father as well. That the resurrection of Jesus restored the image of God within humanity. That he, the first thing he restored in the restoration project was making you once again sons and daughters of God, that you can call him father, and that when he looks at you, he doesn't see the fall. He doesn't see the first Adam. He doesn't see lust. He doesn't see jealousy. He doesn't see greed. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, meaning that we now once again bear the image of father God. That when he looks at us, he sees his own image inside of us. And that was the initiation of the restoration project. Was the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection. Listen, that's what he's saying when he says his resurrection is our resurrection. His beginning of the restoration of all things is our restoration of all things. Amen. And, here's, and it doesn't stop there. He didn't come to just restore us. That may have been his first project was to restore us. But he restored us so that we can become then co-laborers with him in the restoration of all things. So that when we get to Revelation chapter 21, where we see the new heaven and the new earth coming down, when Jesus comes back and finally restores everything back to perfection, that we actually have a part in that right now in the restoration project, that we are co-laborers with Christ because we are sons and daughters of the kingdom and we are in the family business of restoration. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to end with this. I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus chose to go to the cross. It was his idea to go to the cross because of his great love with which he loved us. And he went to the cross and died for our sins and his death became our death. That the old man of sin would be done away with. And then his resurrection became our resurrection. That his restoration process began with us where he restored us 
like we were in the garden as the image bearers of God, as sons and daughters of God, that we have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and we're restored as his sons, not just so we can be his sons and daughters until he comes back and we can go to heaven one day. But he's restored us now to take on the family business, to begin walking in the kingdom which has been initiated now, that we may co-labor with him in the restoration of all things. That is our mission. That has become our project as well. You have been restored so that you can begin coming alongside of him as co-laborers to restore all of creation. Amen? His resurrection is our resurrection. Let me pray with you. Hallelujah. Jesus, God, I thank you, Lord. God, that you chose to go and to die on the cross for us. Father, that it was by your will that you chose to die on the cross for us, that you were not forced into it and you were not obligated. Father, we want to pause just for a moment and thank you and worship you for, for the choice to go and to save us, to come and to save us. Father, we are so humbled by the idea that you would come and to save us. What is man that you are mindful of us? What is, what is the son of man that you would think of us, Lord? Father, we are so grateful for the cross. We are so grateful for the message of Easter, the greatest event ever in human history. God, I thank you, Jesus, that your death was our death and that we are no longer bound by that sin nature, but it was by grace that we have been saved, Father. Hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you that the story does not end in death, but the story begins with resurrection. God, that resurrection is not just being raised from the dead. That resurrection is restoration. Resurrection is becoming, once again, the image bearers of God. Father, I thank you that the story doesn't end uh, in death, but the story ends in restoration. That you have come to redeem all of creation. That you have come to redeem all of creation. God, thank you for restoring us. Thank you, Lord. For saving us. God, we love you so much. God, and we celebrate Easter today, the greatest day ever in history. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.